You know, sometimes in trying circumstances, we wonder why we fear. And we wonder why God doesn't alleviate those fears. And we, we sit trembling, waiting for God to do something to eliminate the fear. And we cannot understand why we can't see and, and have knowledge in advance of exactly what and how God is going to do everything that God has said he would do. And so this morning, in a very troubled time for this world in which we live, a very demanding time for Christians to live in, I want us to look at the man Elijah. And to understand him, we, un we have to understand his day. Elijah lived in a time when morally his nation was on the skids. They were spiritually destitute, though the form of religion was all around them. One commentator has said that Elijah's day was characterized by a mania of mediocrity. Of all those who followed the Lord and spoke for him, only Elijah remained to speak publicly. God told Elijah that he had 7,000 others, but those 7,000 others who had not worshipped the false gods were cringing in caves around the country for fear that Ahab and Jezebel would take their lives. Elijah stands out in his generation like a spiritual colossus among a generation of spiritual pygmies. In his day, it was not convenient nor was it comfortable for him to stand up and speak out for God. But I am reminded that the one who follows God holy has never found it convenient to stand up or comfortable to speak out for God. But Elijah boldly and fearlessly, because he feared God and not man, spoke for the Lord in the open. He was convinced of three things, and we ought to be convinced of them. He was convinced of the reality of God. He was convinced that he was God's man. And he was convinced that at the speaking of God's word to him, all of God's words and all of God's resources were available to accomplish the task that he had been sent on. When James, the brother of our Lord, wrote his letter... And he told us about a great man of prayer. He chose Elijah. Of all the men in the scriptures who were strong in prayer, of all those who had power with God, Moses and David and Solomon, whom God gave wisdom as the world had never seen it. When James came to describe the power of prayer, he chose the man Elijah. And so this morning I want us to consider this incident in Elijah's life to see when little is much. Notice, first of all, in verse 1 of 1 Kings 17, here is what I have called the prophecy. God sent Elijah to the king, to Ahab, and he told him something very strange indeed and a very bold thing that a man would have to have a great deal of courage to say. He said, Ahab... It's not going to rain until I say so. Here is the prophecy. Here is a man who is under a sentence of death. And he comes to the palace of the king. I can imagine that court was in session and the attendants of the king and queen were around and Elijah 
blows in like the whirlwind and says his thing. And while they are still saying to one another, how did he get in here? Where did he come from? He was gone off to hide himself at the Lord's command. Here is God's man standing in the public eye to speak an unpalatable message to a hostile world, delivering to the most powerful man in the country the word of the Lord, the prophecy of God. Whether he wanted to do it or not, he did it. Whether Ahab liked it or not, Elijah did it. And he claimed that there would be no rain on the earth until he said so. Here is the prophecy. And then notice in verses 2 and 3, here is what I have called the plan. Now, Elijah is going to do several things over the next period of years this passage discusses. But there was one plan involved. Elijah had one responsibility, and it is the same responsibility of every Christian. It was very simply, as the Lord said to Elijah, get thee hence and go. The plan may be summed up in one word, and it is one of the reasons that we are fearful. We are fearful because we are not obedient to God. The one word that describes the plan is the word obey. He was to do what God said, period. He wasn't to question it. He wasn't to edit it. He was very simply to obey and to do what the Lord had said. And then notice in verse 3, here is an element that is missing in the lives of many. I have called this element privacy. First there was prophecy and then the plan, and here is privacy. For God told Elijah something that we would not expect him to tell the most outstanding preacher in the country. He said, Elijah, go and hide yourself in a place of anonymity. Go and hide yourself. Elijah surely did not understand that. We do not have his history, but somewhere during his life he had come to understand that when God spoke, he must obey. Why would it be that God would take out of the public eye the one man who stood up for him and who spoke what God told him to speak? God was working on both ends. Israel was rebellious. They were not open to the word of the Lord. They were not obedient to him. And God deprived them of the one voice he had left publicly. But he was working on the other end too. For three years hence, Elijah would stand on Mount Carmel, one man alone against 450 prophets of the false god Baal, and he alone would stand up for God and would see a victory such as few men have ever seen in the history of the world. And he was preparing himself. I am reminded of Moses, who lived to an old age of 120 years, but he spent a third of his life on the backside of the desert following sheep. I am reminded of David who spent seven years fleeing from Saul, fearing for his life, moving from place to place, leaving the country of his birth, preparing to come to the throne. I am reminded of Jesus Christ, the dominant figure in the history of the world 
who lived only 33 years, and 30 of those 33 years were lived in anonymity. And yet we do not want to be anonymous. We do not want to hide ourselves with the Lord. We want to be in the spotlight now. We want to be on the mountaintop now. We want God to use us now. And we become bitter at God. We become bitter at other people. We do not understand why we fail and why we are frustrated. And we must learn the secret of the hidden life. A man is not ready to show himself until first he has hidden himself. There must be the experience of anonymity before there can be true notoriety as God would have it to be. A man is not ready to show himself until first he has hidden himself. And if you will find anybody, whatever their position, whatever their ministry, but you find anybody that is effective for God, and when you are with them, you feel the presence of God and they have an influence on your life, when you see somebody that is effective in public ministry, it will always be because first, they have hidden themselves with God. Here is the privacy. First, we must be hidden. First, there must be the life where we alone with God minister to our own spirits. And He touches and changes our lives before we are prepared to go before the world. And then notice in verses 4 to 7, here is what I have called the promise. He said, you shall drink of the brook, and I will command the ravens to feed thee there. God's promise was very simple. He said, Elijah, you go to that very unlikely place at the desert side of the foot of the mountains. You go there, and I will provide for you. I can imagine that if this were in the modern day and God dealt with us as directly as He does today and God gave that direct and pointed a command that many of us would write ahead and check on accommodations. We would want to know about the climate. We would want to know about opportunities for jobs. We would want to know what we were going to do to support ourselves. And if the reports came back unfavorable, we would tend to say, Now, Lord, are you sure that's where you want me to go? But Elijah, remember the plan, had one responsibility, and that responsibility was to obey the Lord. And so he went, and he did, according to the word of the Lord. Notice that God had promised him to, that he would take care of him. And after a while, the brook dried up. But Elijah still trusted God. For you see, Elijah's faith was not in the brook, it was in God. I want you to contrast faith and unbelief. This is worth writing down, it is worth remembering Unbelief sees God through the circumstances. Think about that for a minute. Unbelief sees God through the circumstances. 
Oh, Lord, how am I going to stay alive now? The brook is dried up. Lord, how are we going to do it? I don't see the source of the funds. The pool is empty and the brook is drying. How are we going to do it? That's unbelief. It's one of the most ungodly ways a Christian can approach anything. Unbelief sees God through the circumstance. Faith, on the other hand, sees the circumstance through God. Faith sees the circumstance through God. Elijah did not trust the supply. He trusted the source. Elijah did not trust the gift. He trusted the giver. And we are to trust in God. God is under no obligation to show us how He is going to do what He is going to do. He is under no obligation to explain it. He is under obligation to command and we to obey. Consider that in the first place, if Elijah was going to back out, he'd have backed out at the beginning. Because God said, I have commanded the ravens to feed you. Now, ravens are flesh-eating birds. Elijah might have had a little easier time understanding it if he had said, I'm going to send the doves to bring you bread and flesh. I'm going to send the pigeons to feed you. But no, the ravens, a bird of prey, a flesh-eating bird. And notice how when God promises something, God will always find a way to deliver it. It was an unnatural thing for the ravens to bring him food without eating it themselves. And yet God had told him where to go, God had told him what to do, and God was under obligation to provide for him, and God found a way to do it. I want you to notice also that when the brook dried up, Elijah had to suffer as the result of his own prophecy. Why did the brook dry up? That brook running down from the snow-capped mountains dried up because there had been no moisture on the earth because of Elijah's prophecy. He was suffering at the hand of his own prophecy. He too fell heir to the punishment that God sent upon the land. There's one thing I want you to notice that you might miss. You find it mentioned in verse 4, in verse 9, and again in verse 10. It is what I have called the place. This is vitally important. And it is at this point that you and I will begin, I hope, as God illumines us, to get a handle on the principle that little can be much when God is in it. In verse 4, He said, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. In verse 9, he says, Arise and go to Zarephath by Zidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman to feed you there. And in verse 10, it says very simply that when he came to the gate of the city, the widow was there. There is the place of his presence. There is the place of his provision. There is the place of his power. 
And God had promised to take care of Elijah as long as he was there. And where is it? It is wherever God tells you to be. There was a drought in the land. People were starving to death. And God promised to take care of Elijah, but he promised to take care of him at the brook. He didn't promise to take care of him if he went into the hill country of Gilead where he lived to go home and hide himself. No, that was not the right place. The promise of God is, I will take care of you there. And often when we are fearful and our needs seemingly go unmet, it is because there is a short circuit in our system and we are not there. We want to serve God. We want to please God. We want to give as God wants us to give. But in all of that, we want to do it on our own terms. But God says, I will provide for you there. There is the place of power. There is the place of provision. There is the place of His presence. Elijah was already very successful. But God said, go and hide yourself there. And he did it. In verses 5 and 10, it says very simply that Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. Why is there fear? Why is there lack? It is because when we have seen and known and understood the word of God, we balk at it. We debate it. We question it. We try to decide whether or not we really want to do it. And we decide that we will think about doing it what God wants us to do. As you read the history of the kings of Israel and Judah in the books of Kings and Chronicles, you will find many times written, and so-and-so served the Lord God, but not with his whole heart. And he went after the way of the Lord, but not with his whole heart. Over and again we read this. And their reigns were hampered and ineffective and their lives were troubled and their ends were often from unusual circumstances because they tried to hold on to God with one hand and themselves with the other. You must be there if God will meet your needs. And when you are there, all of heaven must bow to meet your needs because God has promised to take care of you. How many instances do we need? God told Jesus to be there, and there was the cross. But the cross ended not in death, but in resurrection to new life. God told Moses, lead the people not by the way of the valley, but by the way of the plains land. And they wound up with their backs to the sea, and God took them across the sea on dry ground because they were there. God told Elijah, go to the unlikely place. Go to the desert. Go to the place of anonymity and hide yourself. And there I will provide your needs. Every Christian 
must know what it is to be there at the place of anonymity before he can experience victory as Elijah did on Mount Carmel. Joseph was the pride of his father. His brothers hated him because his father favored him. They sold him into Egypt. He rose quickly to a favored position in the house of a wealthy man. But there the devil put him down again, knowing that God had plans for him. And though he languished in the prisons of Egypt for years, one day he raised to the throne because he was there and he had been faithful and obedient to God. Moses tried to serve God in his own strength and wound up a fugitive. And he found that there was the place of the desert, not far from where Elijah ended up. And after 40 years of following sheep in anonymity, Moses came to be one of the greatest leaders of men in the history of the world. Here is the place... And everything else we discuss may be right. You may be in God's plan as far as you know. You may have hidden yourself. You may protect the private life you have with Him. You may trust in His promise, but unless you are there, it is all to no avail. Then notice in verse 9, the person of the promise. Elijah was a famous man. Elijah was a man of some notoriety and he moved in high circles. And yet God said, Elijah, if you don't leave the brook, you're going to starve to death. There is another place for you. You're there is now at Zarephath. He did not say go to the elders of the city. He did not say go to the leading citizens or to the governor of the territory. He said, I have commanded a widow woman there to feed you. She was a poor and starving widow and it must have been a test of Elijah's pride to be ministered to at her hand. But he went and did according to the word of the Lord. There's something I want you to notice about this widow woman. She didn't know what God was going to do. She didn't know what he was going to do. God hadn't talked to her. He had talked to his man. And when Elijah got there, notice that she said to him, As the Lord thy God liveth. She was saying to Elijah, It's your God, not mine. It's your God that's got us into all of this mess. And now you want to take the little bit that I have left. But because she obeyed God, because she obeyed God, her needs were met in abundant fashion. And friends, sometimes we struggle and suppress guilt, and it's a legitimate guilt, by the way, because we do not feel that we can afford to give as we know we ought to give. No Christian who does not live the life of giving in every area of his life can ever be happy because God so loved that he gave. And it is ungodly to be stingy. The truth of the matter is that you cannot afford not to give as God directs. 
Write down a reference of Scripture, whether you're taking message, message notes this morning or not. Luke 6, 38. And I want you to go home and get a handle on Luke 6, 38 today. God has ordained giving as His means of getting His wealth into circulation. And God has promised that when we give at His Word, not indiscriminately, not foolishly, not unreasonably, but when God speaks it, it's not foolish or unreasonable. And when we have given according to His Word, either He will meet all of our needs or He's a liar and we might as well sell this property, fold it up and find a new religion. God is honor-bound to meet our needs. And when you are there and when you have given, all of heaven must bow to meet your needs. Once in the Old Testament and once in the New, we are given the supreme examples of what it is to give under God's direction. And both times, here and the widow we read about in Mark chapter 12, here and in that, that other place also, both times it was a widow. And both times, God did as He promised. I want you to notice that both of these widows gave everything they had to God. They gave it all. We quibble over percentages, and some Christians swell up like a toad when they get up to giving 10% of their income to God. All of it belongs to God. You're not really giving Him 10. He's giving you 90. It's all His. But I want you to know that there are only two percentages mentioned in the New Testament. One is 50% and one's 100. And the scriptural principle stated in the book of 2 Corinthians is this. Every week when the church gathers, let a man give as God has prospered him. At the direction of God, under the impulse of God. Remember the quotation Jim Elliot wrote in his notebook, that martyred missionary. In 1949, he wrote down, his wife tells us a quotation. It says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And if you do not give, nothing that you have will be enough. But if you give at God's direction, whatever you have left will last. Consider in verses 13 to 16, here is the provision for Elijah's need. Notice that the widow lady said, I do not have but a little bit of meal. My son and I are going to make a little something to eat and we're going to celebrate death because we're starving. And Elijah said, first, Notice that word, put a circle around it, emblazon it in your memory. Elijah said, first, honor God. First, honor God. And then, God will meet your needs. And it says, she went and did. See that again? Went and did. The same thing Elijah has done. She went and did according to the word of Elijah. First, she made him a cake. And then it says the meal did not waste. It didn't go away. And the cruise of oil did not fail as long as the drought remained. 
first, if you will honor God, God will meet your needs. But remember that sometimes things may get worse before they get better. She had to scrape the bottom of it and use everything that was left, and then God multiplied it. But I want you to notice that when she honored God, he didn't fill the meal barrel up. He didn't fill the cruise of oil up, but every day when she went to eat, there was something there. You see, she wouldn't have needed faith anymore if God had filled it up. We expect to exercise a little bit of faith and then watch God just pour it out so we can see what He's going to do. It doesn't work that way. God didn't fill it up. But every day when she went, there was something there. Every day her needs were met. Every day she and Elijah and all of her family ate out of it. For you see, if God had given it to her all at once, she wouldn't have needed to trust Him anymore. And God hasn't said, You do what I tell you with a trembling hand, and then I'll just give you everything you want, and you can put it in the bank and draw on it. He said, you obey me. And every day there'll be enough. Every day there will be enough. Faith ventures out on God's Word and then waits for the results. Unbelief says, God, show me the results and then I'll do it. The provision was conditioned on her doing what God had told her to do. Sometimes things get worse before they got better. She had to drain it empty. But then God provided every day. What is God trying to do in this life of ours? What was He trying to do with Elijah? He is trying to make us like Jesus and ready us for a ministry to which He has appointed us. Remember the privacy. You cannot show yourself effectively until you have hidden yourself. Remember the place God's promises say, I will provide for you there. But remember the promise, I will provide. And remember that the provision will come when we have done as God commands. First, like the barrel of meal, we must be empty of ourselves 